Hey everyone, my name is Sheila and I'm one of the Connect Group leaders here at HDBB. We've made it! We're less than a month away from Christmas and it's finally appropriate to be seen listening to that Christmas playlist that I know you started in October. I mean, it can't just be me, right? Right? Well, today marks the beginning of Advent. At what, you might ask? Advent! Advent is a season in the Christian liturgical calendar which begins four Sundays before Christmas, leading up to Christmas Day. And that means it begins today. But what is Advent all about? The Advent season is commonly seen as a time of preparing our hearts and minds for Christmas, reflecting on the story around the birth of Christ. But that's really just one half of it. The word Advent actually means coming or arrival. And so yes, we celebrate that Jesus came as a baby, but the Advent season is also about reflecting and preparing ourselves for Jesus' second coming in the future. Both events are equally important, and both events shed light into the meaning of the gospel for us and reveal to us truths and perspectives that are helpful for how we live out our faith. So today, as we kick off Advent, we're going to take a look at a passage in Luke's gospel where Jesus talks about his second coming. So let's read from Luke chapter 21, verses 25 to 36. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourself and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with caressing drunkenness and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. This is undeniably a complex and maybe slightly unnerving passage. It's actually the second part of a longer teaching by Jesus. And let me give you a little bit of context to what happens before this. At the beginning of Luke, Chapter 21, the disciples, they were admiring the Jewish temple building and its structures. And back then, this temple, it was the center of Jewish life. It was beautiful and magnificent, and some would say it was even more of an idol to the people, more dear to the people than God himself. And Jesus, at this moment, he bursts their bubble, and he tells them that one day, the temple will be destroyed, totally. And devastated, they ask him to tell them when this destruction would happen. And that's when Jesus begins his teaching. 
In the first half of his teaching, he talks about the events that lead up to the destruction of the temple. But midway in his teaching, he then switches gear to talk about his own second coming and tells them to be ready. And that's where we find ourselves in the passage today. And I think he does this to allude to the fact that the destruction of what they valued here on earth is not the end. The end is determined by him alone, and the end is glorious if we abide in him. And I mean, that's totally relatable, right? You know, how many times do we think that our lives will fall apart um, when the things that we value are taken away? And yet Jesus gives us hope. He says that even as all things fade away, he remains. The temple was completely destroyed about 40 years later. So really he was preparing them for events to come. And many theologians identified that destruction of the temple at that time as the fulfillment of Jesus' words. Many of the events that he spoke about leading up to the destruction and the destruction itself aligns to what he said. How can we find hope in this? The hope is that his words are true. And that means the second half of his teaching that we read through just now, which history shows no records just yet that it has happened, we know that it will happen. He will come again. And what do we do about this knowledge? Well, there's a lot going on in the passage. And what some people might be tempted to do is um, to specifically predict when the end will happen. In fact, I'm sure we all know too well um, about predictions of the end times. I mean, I found a Wikipedia page called List of Dates Predicted for Apocalyptic Events. It's long. Jesus doesn't really allude to time in the passage, or when he does, it's not quite our sense of time. Here's an example. In the Matthew account of this passage, Jesus says, immediately after the distress from the temple destruction, these signs will occur. At the time of listening, this probably caused the disciples to think that Jesus' second coming was going to happen immediately after the temple destruction. But we know that even until today, Jesus has not yet come back. And so we are still living in that space that he described, that in-between space. The Bible is clear that we are not supposed to predict. And I believe that through his words, he's actually teaching us instead of how to live in anticipation of his arrival. And in today's passage, I think he gives us two reality checks as we live in this in-between time and two ways that we can respond as a church as we wait for his second coming. So let's dive in. Reality check number one. In life, we can expect calamity. Let's read verse 25. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. I wonder, what word would you use to describe this scene? Some words that come to mind are chaotic, unpredictable, uneasy, uncertain, maybe even a little scary. 
Jesus in describing the time between the destruction of the temple and his second coming describes a chaotic scene. We're entering into the Christmas season and you know what that means? Presents! Presents! And now I'm actually not really a gifts person. Uh, gifts is like the lowest of my love languages. And while that's great for my friends, uh, because I legit do not mind not getting presents, it's an absolute struggle for me to find the right present for others. But what's even harder for me than finding the right present? The wrapping. I did not wrap this. Although the bow does look like I wrapped it. Uh, but sometimes, you know, wrapping just even a square box, it takes me ages and makes me question my own existence for not being able to handle a simple scissors, uh, cellophane tape, and paper. The invention of the fancy paper bag has been a lifesaver for me many times. But some people, they are amazing at wrapping. You know, I've received some of the best wrap gifts. They have bows and pleats and multiple colors and just wow. They look like ornaments or decorations themselves. But you know, here's the thing, and also my saving grace. The gift is not the wrapping. How odd would it be if I received a really well-wrapped gift and just never opened it because it was too pretty? I mean, it's really strange, right? And it definitely wasn't the intent of the giver at all. The real gift is what's on the inside. But how often do we try to wrap our lives in pretty wrapping? But also, perhaps even more alarming, is how much of life today actually requires that of us. When we apply for jobs, we write our resumes and our portfolios. When we set up our Facebook, Instagram, online dating profiles, it's all about the curated image that we want to put forward to others. This is most exaggerated on social media. I mean, just take a look at the pandemic. What we see on Instagram are people exercising, picking up new hobbies, being extra productive, making sourdough bread. Heck, even I posted my attempts at making sourdough bread and never the mornings that I lay in bed too defeated to face yet another day of the MCO. We spur each other on with phrases like, do you, like you need to, dress to impress, or don't let them see you sweat, or put your best foot forward, which are all really good advice for some situations. But at what point do we start to believe that the wrapping is life itself? or that the wrapping is what life should look like. And if it doesn't, something's not right. Life is messy. And I wonder how you feel today listening to this message. You know, maybe you're in a good season and you've managed to get yourself going well in the endemic. Or maybe you're still figuring things out or things really are not quite what you imagined it to be. And that's okay too. Mess is okay. The Bible is often a lot more honest about the messiness of life than we are. As we read through the pages, we are told to expect that life has seasons of up and downs, that pain, suffering, grief, sorrow, injustice, emptiness are just as real as joy and peace and contentment. 
Jesus paints a picture of calamity not to scare us, but to prepare us and to comfort us. Somehow, in his honesty, there's security. It means we don't need to be surprised. We don't need to hide and we don't need to be ashamed if our life doesn't look like the wrapping that we chose because the gift is not the wrapping. Our lives aren't any lesser when it gets hard and messy than when it's breezy and joyful. All of it together equates to life. We find our stride amidst the calamity by fixing our eyes on Jesus. Because as he says in verse 28, when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Calamity is not a sign that the kingdom is far. It's a sign that God is drawing near and we can feel his closeness even more so in the chaos. Reality check number two. Temptation follows calamity. <clears throat> Verse 34, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with caressing drunkenness and the anxieties of life and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. Have you ever ignored the warning label and stuff or just forgot to read them? Like maybe on electronics or clothes or maybe just ignored warnings in general given as advice. When I was in university, I had this bright orange blouse that I really liked and I brought with me to London. Um, and I can't remember what it was made of, but it was kind of this shiny, silky material that perhaps on hindsight, looking at it, I should have known that it shouldn't have gone into the washing machine. Anyway, my mom saw that I was bringing it and she told me herself um, when I packed it and specifically said, this needs to be hand-washed only and not go in the washing machine. I suppose you can guess what happened next. Without thinking, I just lumped it with my other laundry and off into the washing machine it went. Needless to say, the blouse was kind of ruined. Um, but worse than that, every other thing I owned that I put in the laundry together turned shades of red, pink and orange. Everything. Tragic. I was wearing pink tie-dyed socks for months. But! Lesson learned, I have since always made sure to read laundry labels for all my clothes. Jesus gives us a warning label for life. He knows that we will find it hard to focus on him. And he says that a direct result of the calamities of life is that we will be tempted in a direction pulling us away from him. There will be temptations in life that promise us a solution and escape from the chaos. Another version of the Bible phrases it like this, Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down and depressed with the giddiness of debauchery and the nausea of self-indulgence and the worldly worries of life. How many of us know that these are precisely what can weigh us down and distract us from a godly purpose in life? In the face of difficulties, it's so tempting to turn to what the world can offer us in place of Him. And Jesus calls it. He knows where we are weak, but he affirms us in his strength, as we will see later on. And he calls these out not to condemn. He calls it out so that we will not be caught off guard, but also so that we will be able to identify when we are getting distracted. And why is it important not to be distracted? 
He says it is because his second coming will happen when we least expect it, and hence we need to keep watch. Well, at this point, we might be curious about what it really means to be ready, what it really means to keep watch, which leads us to the next section, which is the two responses that the church should embody as we wait for his second coming. Response one, we go through life together. As we explored earlier, life is not a nicely wrapped present. We don't need to look very far to see that pain, suffering, grief, sadness, injustice, anxiety are all very real. And if not in our own lives, then perhaps we see it in others. Verse 36 says, Be always on watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Jesus addresses this passage to the disciples, though they would not see the events come to pass. And hence, I wondered to myself, who is he actually addressing when he says all of this? And so I think he means a broader sense of you, which extends to everyone living in the in-between. And that means everyone who would read this passage, including you and me and the rest of the church. And maybe you're sitting at home right now thinking about the reality checks that I just said, wondering how on earth do I get through these calamities and temptations in life? Well, firstly, it's to know, as Jesus said, his words will never fade away. God is with you every step. But secondly, it's to realize that the church is one of God's key strategies and where he concentrates his efforts on people, on communities, coming together, being an extension of his hands and feet for each other. And I think that Jesus speaks collectively to the church because he wants us to come together in the face of these realities. How does that look like practically? Well, firstly, I think the church is a space for both rejoicing and lament. Particularly, I'd love to explore the latter about lament. If we expect life to have calamities and to have its ups and downs, then the church needs to be a safe space where hardship, challenges, suffering, temptation, and evil can be spoken about freely. We shouldn't need to wrap up our lives and tie a nice ribbon when we face each other. Lament is a biblical principle that cries out in desperation against a culture of performance and showmanship. It is our humanity wanting to express itself. It's why Spotify has tons of playlists for sad days and poetry and art are often anchored in struggle and tension. And I wonder, when was the last time that you felt you could just be? Are there people that you are able to turn to unrefined, unpolished, just as you are? Or I wonder if even this concept of lament draws out from you a level of vulnerability that makes you feel uncomfortable. Come as we are isn't just a utopian ideal. It is the intent for the church. We don't need to be 
afraid to be honest about how we feel because you know what? The next person gets it. And we help each other because as our lives intertwine, what we find is that my ups allow me to hold space for your downs and your ups allow you to hold space for his downs and his downs allow him to empathize with her downs. And we come together, when we come together, we are stronger than we are apart. But where can this happen? Anywhere that there is the church. On a Sunday, please do come forward for prayer. But also, it's so important to get plugged into smaller communities like Connect Group or Alpha to find a space for deeper connections. In Connect Groups, this is precisely what we aim to be. My own Connect Group this year, we covered topics like unanswered prayer and mental health and kingdom living. And it's so, so powerful to have had a group of people just holding space for each other um, when it's tough. And you know, I was just chatting to a friend recently and he was saying that he had such a rough year for his business and I didn't even know that. But it was really the power of just having that space in Connect Group to be in that struggle without expectation to be polished or put together. That was what kept him sustained week in and week out. We can lament because we know that it does not have the last word. Jesus does. The season of Advent allows the church to do both rejoicing and lament. We rejoice in this season, celebrating that Jesus came and the goodness and joy that he brings um, into our lives. But we know as well that in this space, while we anticipate his second coming, there exists struggle. And we need to remember uh, to hold space for those who need it and stand in solidarity with them. Secondly, the church is the place for accountability. We hold space for those who need it, but we also help each other keep our eyes on Jesus. We as the church have a responsibility to hold each other accountable to not fall into the temptations mentioned above. Not in condemnation, but in love. And not because one is better than the other, but because all of us are weak and fall prey to temptation. And finally, not by our own strengths, but by pointing and always pointing to Jesus as the answer. Find friends in the faith who can challenge you to remain in the faith when life storms try to pull you away and then be that friend for someone else. And lastly, the church is a place of hope. Without Jesus, the church will struggle to be what it needs to be. We can only be all that for each other when we are powered by Jesus. And the hope that we can give each other is that Jesus came once before, he's here by his Holy Spirit and he will come again for his church. And finally, we move on to the second response by the church. And that is that we stay close to Jesus. Verse 36 is a very interesting sentence. He says, pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. Another translation says, pray that you may have the strength and ability to escape all these things that are going to take place. And the two words here, strength and escape, sound really oxymoronic to me in the same sentence. I mean, if we had the strength, then we would not need to escape. But what's even more interesting is that the Greek word here for strength 
means to prevail or to overpower or to get the upper hand. And so in other words, Jesus is saying that in order to flee from calamity and temptations, we need to pray, and that is to ask God for the ability to overcome these things. We don't flee by running away or running around, but by running through. And we don't do it alone, but in prayer, relying on God's ability to overcome for us. You see, I know earlier I said that Advent is about Jesus' first and second coming, but actually there is a third time that Jesus comes into our life. Once in the past, once in the future, and he wants to come into our lives right now by his Holy Spirit. Jesus simplified the Ten Commandments to a simple statement, love God and love others. And I believe a large part of what it means for us to be ready and to be on watch is simply this, that we receive his love for us and then we extend it back to him and to others. Turning to Jesus is how we weather through calamities and temptations of life. And this is something that we can do over and over again, every day and every moment. He is our space to rejoice and lament. He empowers us to resist temptation and to be transformed. But more importantly, He is our hope today as we live our day today and for tomorrow as we anticipate the time that He will come again for us and where the struggle will end and we will be with Him in eternity. Shall we take a moment right now to turn to Him, as I mentioned just now? So wherever you're at, uh, you might want to just get comfortable. Maybe you want to open your hands as a sign to say that, hey, Jesus, I'm, I'm ready to receive or I'm open to receiving uh, you into, into this space that I'm in. Come, Holy Spirit. Would you come and just fill our hearts afresh and be speaking to us right now in this moment. 